Repeat these words after me. Say, Father in heaven, thank you for this word. It is the absolute truth. And I believe it. It is your personal love letter to me. And I receive it. Lord, tonight, my ears are ready to hear your word. My heart is ready to receive your word. And I, by faith, am ready to be a doer of the word, no matter what comes my way. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, as we approach your word tonight, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Tonight, Lord, let me only say what you would have me say. Let me only do what you would have me do. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Let us know what your spirit is saying to the church tonight. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, and everyone who agreed with that said, Amen. Amen. All right, I want to pick up where we left off last week. We started last week talking about preparing for the church of tomorrow. And if you are here today, you have something to deposit to help prepare for the church of tomorrow. I don't mean just in this physical building. I mean here today in the body of Christ. There's something in you that God wants to draw out to deposit in this generation to prepare us all to be the church of tomorrow. So I'd like to pick up where we left off last week. If you would open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs chapter 20, we're going to go to verse 29. And when you get there, you know how I like to do it. Just shout at me and say, I'm there. I got it. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 29. Good. As I told you last week, it's nice to hear those pages turning. (laughs) Most of the time in youth group, we just hear fingers swiping. So it's nice to hear those pages turning. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 29. You can read along as I read out loud. The glory of young men is their strength. Everyone say strength. And the splendor of old men is their gray head. As we talked about last week, we cannot have just a young church in looking forward to the church tomorrow. And we can't have just an old church in looking forward to the church of tomorrow. We need this beautiful balance of the wisdom of our elders coming together with the strength of our youth to be the church of tomorrow that God has called us to be. Because if we're young people just going out there on our own, we talked about it last week. We're going to get off into silly things and we can get easily off if we don't have the covering of wisdom over us. So as young people, we need to submit ourselves to our elders. We need to receive the correction and direction. And our elders, you need to also (laughs) see the gifting and the strength inside of our young people. Because... Our young people are not just the leaders of tomorrow. We are the church of tomorrow, but we're also the leaders of today. Right now in their schools and on their playgrounds and on their streets and on their block and in their homes, they're the leaders of today. So we need to work together. Another scripture I want to show you just to kind of encapsulate what we talked about last week. If you flip over to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5. You can ask any of the young people, this is my life scripture, what I call my life scripture. It has helped me in every area of my life since the time that I rededicated. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. When you're there, shout at me, say, I got it. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Okay, that should be obvious. Yes, 
all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed in humility. I believe, as we mentioned a minute ago, as I mentioned a minute ago, that there is a beautiful balance of coming together where the wisdom of our elders meets the strength of our youth and we become what God has called us to be. But we need equal submission to one another in love and in reverence to the Lord. Because we all have something to deposit to the church of tomorrow. So tonight as we continue, I want to take a look at a few different things and then I want to hit the most vital element of preparing for the church of tomorrow. I'm going to hit two things and then we're going to get into the most paramount, most vital element to prepare for the church of tomorrow. The first one, I want to take you over to the book of Ephesians. If you weren't here last week, get the CD. It was great. Not because of me. I don't have anything to offer. It was God. It was awesome. I don't know. I'm going to tell you a little secret that uh, priest, uh, preachers, I'm not sure if they tell you. We don't always know what God's going to do when we get up here. We just trust Him and we get up here and He does the work. It's awesome. So we go to the book of Ephesians chapter 2 and uh, just kind of look up at me as we begin tonight. I think one of the next things that we need to pass on to the generation that we have right now, one of the things we need to model for the young people, one of the things we need to model for the world is that Christians are not perfect people. (laughs) Some of you are giving daps and high fives. Yeah, man, he said it. Christians are not perfect people. But what are we? We are people who recognize we need a Savior. We are people who recognize we have been redeemed. We are people who recognize we have been forgiven. And so, you know, as if we set the bar of perfection up here, the world's not going to want to come in. I'm not talking about upholding the standard like we talked about last week. We hold the line. We hold the standard. But our young people in the world, they need to see that we are not perfect people, but we're redeemed people. So I want to take a look at a few passages tonight to talk about this. In Ephesians chapter 2, I'd like you to go to verse 8, a very familiar scripture. If you're there, shout at me. Okay, good. For by grace, everyone say grace, Grace. you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. The very salvation that we have received has not come as a result of our worthiness, has not come as a result of our works, but it has come as a free gift from a loving Father. Turn over just another page here well, uh, to verse 9. It is not of works, everyone say works, lest anyone should boast, for we are His workmanship. You see, one of the things we need to model for this generation and to prepare for the church of tomorrow, one of the things we must model in our workplaces and in our schools is that while we're not perfect, we are a work in progress. God is still working in us. We are his workmanship. He is designing us. He is crafting us. He has already saved us, but we're not complete. We are in process. We need to begin to let our young people see this and our world see this. Like, hey, listen, I'm a human just like you. The thing that's different is I recognize I need a Savior. I recognize how fallen I am without Him. And so I turn to Him to be redeemed and to be forgiven. I want to show you a few more passages tonight to show you that it's not us doing the work, but it's God doing the work in us. If you're in Ephesians, go over to Philippians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. Excuse me, I'm sorry, thank you. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Thank you. 
Paul writes to the church of Philippi and says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. What do we see from this one scripture? We see three things in this one scripture. Number one, God began the work in you. Number two, God is continuing the work in you and in me. And number three, it ain't going to be complete until the day of Jesus Christ. And so we need to give grace to one another. And we need to be understanding towards one another because we're all in process. T.D. Jakes wrote a book years ago called He Motions. He was writing to appeal to men to help us understand our God-given emotions and be strong in the Lord. And he said, men, and I say this to all of us tonight, we as Christians need to realize that we are in process and not a completion. We are in process and not a completion. Just turn over one page to Philippians chapter 2. Verse 13. Pastor's been sharing the scripture for a while now. For it is God. It is God. It is God. It is who? Who works in you. Both to will and to do. Of his good pleasure. So we don't have a persona. A front. To keep up to people. We don't have something that we ought to try to prove to people. We just show people that we're redeemed by the blood of the lamb, that we recognize we need a savior. I was uh, in the grocery store yesterday. And uh, as you walk into the grocery store, there's this big yellow sign. And it says, under construction, please pardon our appearance while we remodel. Then I go a little further into this. You're already getting it. I don't even need to give you the punchline. Then I go a little further into the store. And there's another sign up in the store. And this, this sign is a letter from the manager. And the manager is making an appeal to the people who have come to visit the store. They're saying, listen, we want you to get the best shopping experience. So we're remodeling the whole store. I want you to know tonight that we are under construction by God, our Father, through our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are not a completion, but we're being remodeled so that we're more profitable for our Father's business. He's remodeling us. We're under construction. So we're not yet complete. And I think, and that's a great thing to know. We don't have this thing we have to keep up. And in fact, I think it's helpful for our young people. I think it's helpful for our world to see you're a human just like me. The only difference is Jesus. The only difference is Jesus. One of the things that uh, I'm learning now as a dad, <laughs> I always like to share these stories with you, uh, is I can't react to my children in anger when something's going on. See, life gets busy. Pastor was talking about it today. Life gets busy. We've got all these different things going on. And uh, sometimes, you know, all my children are here tonight, five, three, and one, Lily, Noah, Eli. And sometimes daddy gets really, really busy. He gets, Lily's shaking her head. Daddy gets in the zone and you know, the kids are doing something and one, 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 one of them hits the other and daddy ends up reacting in anger instead of responding in true love and in discipline. Now, if I was a real prideful man, which I can be sometimes, and thank God he's still working in me, but if I was really proud, I wouldn't go to my children and explain to them that daddy was wrong. But it's a great testimony when I'm willing to humble myself to my young children and say, Daddy was wrong to react like that. Yes, what you did was wrong, but Daddy should not have reacted like that. I was wrong. I was wrong, and I need your forgiveness. See, that teaches my children, there's no bar of perfection that God's expecting of you. 
There's no bar of perfection that I'm expecting of you. I'm just looking for you to submit to the Lord. I'm just looking for you to submit under his authority. And this is a hard lesson for those of us who are adults. This is a hard lesson for those of us who have walked with Christ for a long time. Because sometimes we buy the lie that we think we have to keep up this persona. We have to keep up this facade. But the world loves to see. And the world needs to see real, redeemed people. People who were a mess who could still be a mess and make a mistake if not for the blood of Jesus. I love what Pastor Lafayette says all the time. Any one of us can malfunction at any point. And we just have to realize that. But it's a great testimony when we're willing to come to those who we have hurt and who we have offended and ask for their forgiveness and repent. I think that is a greater testimony than trying to keep up a persona of being perfect because we're not perfect. I believe the next thing that our church needs to see, our young people need to see, to prepare for the world, the church of tomorrow, is how to get back up when you fall. What do you do when you fall? I believe there is a difference between falling and failing. You are not a failure when you fall. You've only failed when you fall and refuse to get back up. I'm going to say that again. You are not a failure when you fall. You've only failed when you fall and refuse to get back up. Our life as Christians is this journey of learning to walk out our faith. In the book of Proverbs chapter 24, follow me over there please. This is one of the biggest lessons that I've had to struggle with in my own life. Being a perfectionist, I feel like I fail all the time. But it's nice to know that God isn't holding me up to this standard. All all of my children are walking now. And God really teaches you lessons through your kids. How many of you who have kids? He teaches you all the lessons. I don't feel like I knew life. I don't feel like I knew how to be a Christian until I had kids. And then I feel, okay, now I'm learning what it means to be a son of God. I'm learning what it means to be a child of God. And, you know, when my kids have learned to walk, and Eli's the youngest one, and he's just begun to walk now, when he started to walk and he would fall over and he would go back to crawling, I didn't get mad at him. I encouraged him. Come on, get back up. Come on, walk to daddy. What do we do? You know, you had, you had kids. You, some of you had kids. God, what did Jesus describe God as? As a father. So he's not looking at us when we fall saying, you know what, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have done that. He's saying, come on. Come on, my grace is sufficient. Come on, my blood is perfect. Come on, I can cover you. Get back up. Come on, go at it again. That's one of the things we have to model for this generation. Because it's easy to quit. The road of faith can be tough sometimes, and it's easy to quit. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again but the wicked shall fall by calamity. Let's read that again. But a righteous man, for a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. Now that doesn't mean that after the seventh time, on the eighth time, that's it, knock out, you're all done. That's not what that means. The scripture is saying, though you might completely fall, though you utterly fall, though you fall all the way, you can rise again. I think this is something we need to teach our young people today. Because they go out there, they start tasting the world, and they can't come back into the doors of the church because they feel like God couldn't accept me. God couldn't love me. 
I love the, the parable that Jesus told of the prodigal son. Because in that story, I can recognize so much of my own faith walk in that story. And you know the story. This younger son takes all his father's inheritance. Say, give me everything you have. And he goes off and, you know, spends it on all these different things. But all of a sudden, he comes to his senses when he's starving and he wants to eat the food that the pigs are eating. And he says, you know, I know my, my father won't take me back as a son, but I'll come as a servant. Because even my father's servants have food enough to eat and shelter. But something amazing happens on the road that we don't often get and understand when we come to Christ. Because, see, as he's running down the road thinking he's going to plead with his dad to make him a servant, his dad meets him halfway and says, My son, my son, who was lost and now is found, who was dead and now is alive. You see, we come to God and we think, Oh, I can't be good enough to be a son again. I have totally blown it. God could never take me back. But God is standing there saying, My son, I'm not looking for you to be a servant, but my son, come and enter in. But we can learn that as we, and we can teach that as we model that to this generation, as we model that to the world. It's interesting in terms of failing versus falling. You know, how do you learn to ride a bike? How do you learn to drive a car? How do you learn what balance is? The only way to learn balance is to go a little bit too far to the right and fall down and scrape your knee or go a little bit too far to the left and fall down and scrape your knee. So our job as Adults in the church is not to look at a young person or the world when they make a mistake and say, see, you shouldn't have done that. But to say, listen, yes, you are wrong, but there's grace. God's grace is sufficient and his strength is made perfect in your weakness. So why don't you get back up? Why don't you get back on that bike and let's go at it again? You know, going too far to the right didn't work for you. So why don't you get back on and learn that balance? Why don't you grab the steering wheel and hold on and learn the balance? It's a flow. It's a walk that we can model. Michael Jordan, who is arguably one of the greatest basketball players of all time. I know that some of you may think differently. That's okay. But arguably one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But here's some stats on Michael Jordan, just for your interest. He lost almost 300 games. That's more than the average NBA player has court time. He missed over 9,000 shots at goal. Again, more than the average player has an opportunity to have the ball. 26 times he was given the the ball for the game-winning shot and missed. His shooting record, shooting average, was only 50%. So how is it that Michael Jordan could be one of the greatest basketball legends? How is it that he could be recognized as such a great basketball legend? Because Michael Jordan modeled something that we need to model for the church, a refusal to quit. A refusal to back down and a refusal to give up. If somebody in the world can do that, we who have Christ, we who have God on our side, should ought to be able to get up and do that and model that for this next generation. Because in the world that we're headed to, the church of tomorrow is going to need to see us stand and get back up, fall and get back up. They're going to need those lessons from us and we need to pass them on. Thomas Edison had an interesting view on failure. Some of you might have heard this story. Thomas Edison, who patented the incandescent light bulb as we know it, he didn't actually invent it, but he, he patented that modern household light bulb. They had street lights that, that they were using run on gas, but he modern the modern uh, light bulb, the incandescent light bulb that we have. He patented that. But he failed 9,999 times to refine that light bulb just right. But this is Thomas Edison's perspective. This is what he said. I have not failed 
I have just found 10,000 ways that do not work. I mean, is that great or what? Here's a guy you just can't keep down. I haven't failed. I don't have that sense inside of me. I mean, I make a mistake and I think I'm all done. But I have God. I have Christ on the inside of me. I don't know if this man knew Christ, but yet he recognized something that I need to recognize. I think when we have the, 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 we have the spirit of the living God inside of us, we ought to be a little bit bolder. We ought to know that we're redeemed and that God loves us, that God accepts us as sons and daughters. No, God doesn't accept our sin, but God's acceptance and God's love is the power to come out of that sin. And so we need to recognize that he accepts us as sons and daughters. Thomas Edison also said, many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. I'm here to encourage all of us tonight. Some of us are on the brink of giving up, whatever that may be. You know where you are. God wants to encourage you tonight and let you know if you've lost your way, just get back up. His grace is sufficient. And his strength is made perfect when? In your strength? No, in your weakness. In our weakness, his grace. And in our weakness, his strength is made stronger. We find ourselves strengthened as we humble ourselves at the foot of the cross. So to continue on, I want to get to the most vital element that we need to prepare for the church of tomorrow. We cannot move forward with any of the things that we have talked about. As much as we're holding the line, not letting the devil penetrate, as much as we're going out there and being warriors for God, as much as we are modeling these things to our generation, to young children and the world, we can't do anything if we haven't done this first thing. It is paramount. It is vital. Let's talk about it. Over in John chapter 10, please. Thank you. It's a good way to keep people awake. Make them shout at you when they find the scripture. (laughs) John chapter 10. I want to start in verse 1. Again, if you're there, shout at me. Say, I got it. Jesus is speaking now. He's saying, most assuredly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Verse 14, skip down there. I am the good shepherd, says Jesus, and I know my sheep. And I am known by my own. Jump down a little further to verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I think the most paramount thing that we need to pass on to this next generation is to teach them and to remind us the importance of developing a sensitivity to the Spirit. We must be sensitive to the Spirit of God, who is speaking always. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. See, I believe that God is always speaking. I believe he is constantly speaking. God, you know that God can speak. And these are the two safe ways you know that God is speaking. God will always speak through his word, first and foremost. And God speaks through his spirit. And his spirit is only going to confirm what's already written in the word. 
The truth is that God is always speaking. The question is, are we listening? Pastor John just talked about this tonight as he came up here. There are so many distractions, so many what we could call pacifiers in our culture that we're soaking up, that we're enjoying, that we don't make time for the living God who wants to have time with us. How can we know the voice of our Lord if we haven't come and spent time with him? How can we, see, we can be redeemed and we can be forgiven and we can be on our way to heaven. But if we're not daily submitting ourselves to the authority of God's word, if we're not daily submitting ourselves, humbling ourselves in posture before the Lord and listening to him and waiting on him, we're not going to know how to move forward. We're not going to know what God's word is for us today. And especially in the world that we're headed to. We're talking about preparing the next generation of the church, which is already in the seats right now. We're already here. We're already being trained. We're watching everything that you do. And we need to learn from you. See, I learned as a husband, as a a father, that what I ought to do is get up early in the morning. As a son of God, really, what I ought to do is get up early in the morning. Get on my knees and pray for my family. Get on my knees and study the word. Get on my knees and pray for my church. Pray for the ministry. As a man, that is what we're called to do. Now, my father didn't sit me down on my wedding day and say, Son, listen, as a man, it's what you ought to do. No, he didn't do that. What he did was every day when I was a kid, all throughout my life, he was up early in the morning at the crack of dawn on his knees on the couch when I came down the stairs. I saw him modeling that for me. If we want to pass on something to our next generation, we need to teach them how to hear the voice of the Lord. And the way to hear the voice of the Lord is to humble yourself under the word. Submit yourself to the word and listen to God as he's speaking through his word. See, God will communicate to you through this book when you open it up. It is not a dead book. It's a living book and it'll come alive. I tell the young people all the time, listen, before you open the word, when you sit down, ask the Holy Spirit, take the words off the page, make them real to my heart. Let me know what you're saying. God's word is relevant. God's word is alive. And it's there for us today. If we would just humble ourselves and get into the word, and give him our first priority and give him our first time and not give him the leftovers. Thank you, Lord. So we need to develop a sensitivity to the spirit. My sheep know my voice and the voice of another they'll not follow. I remember learning this lesson uh, about 11 years ago when I rededicated my life at 18. I began to read through the scriptures. I want to show you very practically how God's word can speak to you. See, when you get saved, the spirit of the living God comes and makes his home inside of you. So you now have the spirit of the living God. Romans tells us that it's that spirit that searches the very deep and inner things. Actually, 1 Corinthians tells us it's the spirit of the living God that searches the very deep and inner things of God. And it's his job to reveal them to us. And so you could be reading the word and God can make that word come alive to you. Let me show you how this happened for me personally. Just one simple example. Turn over to the book of Matthew. I want to show you what God showed me. I was about 18 years old. That was yesterday for me, right? (laughs) Matthew chapter 6, please. Verse 14. 
Jesus just gets done here talking about how to pray, how to communicate with God. And in verse 14, he says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That is a big scripture right there. So you're saying, God, if I'm holding something against somebody, you're going to hold it against me? So I'm 18 now. I just want you to follow me for a second. I'm reading this scripture. And all of a sudden, I start to tremble. Because this word becomes very real to me. Because there's somebody in my life who I have such a hatred for. Such a loathing for because of something that they did. And so all this hatred is stirring up inside of me. And God doesn't want that poison inside of us as his children. So I'm reading his word. And his spirit begins to speak to me. And I'm like, no, no, that can't be true. No, no, no. You know, you just can't forgive some people with what they've done. You cannot go there, God. There's just no way. So I go over to the book of Mark. Come on, follow me to the book of Mark. God will take you through the scripture until you learn the lesson. Mark chapter 11, verse 25. I read again here. Because I could have searched this thing out. God, are you serious? <laughs> Mark eleven twenty five. 25, when you're there, shout at me. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. This is a bold statement here. And as a young Christian, God is beginning to speak to me. See, God brought me to the Word. I read the Word. And it resonated with my spirit. His spirit, it's going off on the inside of me. You haven't done this yet, Kurt. You're still holding awe against somebody. You can't come before God. That's how God speaks through his word and through his spirit. I'm reading the word. His spirit is confirming it. Just a very practical way. And I remember where I was and I remember what I was doing. I'm shaking. I'm trembling. And I'm saying, I can't do this. I can't do this. But if you're telling me I have to, then I have to. And I went and called that person up. And I went and found them. And I told them to their face, listen, it's not because of you. But listen, I can't hold this against you anymore. I have to forgive you. Because it's going to destroy me if I don't. And you know what? God wants to forgive you too. And he can forgive you if you're willing to repent. And man, that changed my life forever. And I'm still learning how the power of forgiveness frees us, frees us from being captive. That's just one example. You know, every single day, that's why I say I believe God is speaking every day. Because if you're on the word every day, God's showing you something new every single day. You're reading it in the word. He's confirming it in your spirit. That's powerful stuff, isn't it? So when we're asking, I don't know how to hear from God. I don't know how, are you reading? Are you praying? It's just the, the two simple basics for a Christian. Are you reading? Are you praying? How much time are we spending in the word? How much time are we spending submitted to the Lord on our knees in prayer? That is where he's going to meet us. The final thing I want to share with us tonight, as we develop a sensitivity to the spirit, I believe that God wants to develop a sensitivity inside of us for others. See, God's heart is people. God is in the people business. His heart is people. He's not just looking that, he's not just happy that we're saved and we're filled with the Holy Ghost. God wants the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And guess what? We're his ambassadors. We have the ministry of reconciliation. Not imputing the world's sins against them. But giving the ministry of reconciliation, what does that mean? We're to go out there and show people how Jesus made a way for us to be reconnected to God once again. I want to take you to 
the story of the Good Samaritan. I think it's something we're all familiar with, but I want to show it to you tonight in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 10, please. Go to verse 25, if you would, please. Okay, Luke eleven twenty five. 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he... The lawyer, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And uh, who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest came down the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he sent him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I come, I will repay you. So Jesus said, Which of these three... Do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said, go and do likewise. This is a beautiful story. Because we see in this story that the the priest, let's start with the priest. Jesus starts with the priest. The priest is the one who ministers to the Lord. He's... And who are the Levites? They're the ones, they're the tribe that has been set apart for the work of the ministry. Jesus is talking about religious folks who are supposed to have a pure and undefiled religion. And yet they're seeing the man on the side of the road who's beaten and wounded. And they're like, ooh, ain't going near that. Let me get on my way to church. Let me get on to the do the work of the ministry. I got to do the work of the Lord. What is the work of the Lord? What is the work of the Lord? How do we honor God and forsake our brother? How do we honor God and forsake that person on the side of the road? You see, one of the things that our generation and the next generation and the church of tomorrow is going to need to see is that we really have Christ inside of us. And we show that by our compassion for others, that we care about others. I believe that God wants to develop a sensitivity inside of us for others. These Samaritans are an interesting people. According to my research, they're like the half-breeds. The Jews did not like the Samaritans. They were not friends of the Samaritans. So the fact that Jesus used the Samaritan is a pretty interesting thing. He's talking to this lawyer. He's saying, listen, you have the scriptures. You have this religion. And yet it's the one who doesn't know me who's going out to do my work. Man, that'll teach to us today. I see these on the road sometimes, on the highway. You see these CVS Samaritan vans. It's interesting because we were, we were traveling to church on Sunday. And what I'm about to share with you, it has nothing to do with me. It's everything to do with God. It's really, I'm only sharing it for the sake of illustration. We're on our way to church on Sunday. And uh, as, we, as we pull down 114, there's a guy stuck in the middle of the road. 
stuck in the middle of the road, and there's a car behind him kind of pushing him so he can kind of steer and get into the gas station. He's like feet from the gas station. And we're on our way to church. We're running a little bit behind, and the thought passes my mind, man, I should help that guy. But if I help him, (laughs) I'm going to be late for church. I've got a choice to make here. I can't be late for church. So I pull a little bit down the road. I pull in the car in the parking lot, and I book it. I run over to the guy. I book it. And I run over there, and I'm like, dude, let this person go. I'll push. You steer. So he's like, oh, man, figures a guy, figures somebody like you would come and help me. I'm in my tie and, and slacks. I'm like, I don't know what that means, but I guess I'll find out. So I push him in. We, we push him into the gas station. He's like, dude, I got to give you something, man. Thanks for stopping. Let me, what can I give you? I said, you can't give me anything. Can I give you something? Let me give you something. He said, what? I said, do you know God loves you? Oh, man. I knew God would send me somebody like you. Just <laughs> figures a guy like you would come around. I'm like, do you know God loves you? He's like, oh, man, my dad just died. I ran from God. I used to go to the church right down the street. Tells me the church is right there. He's like, oh, man, I used to go to that church. But, you know, I got involved in this. I got involved in that. And I'm just like, he's like, I can't believe this. God sent you today. I'm on my way to my dad's grave. I water the flowers every day. He just died. I'm on my way to my dad's grave. God, I can't believe he sent you to stop here and let me know that he still loves me. And I'm like, wow, God. So I, I, I took him. I, I grabbed his hand. I said, let me pray for you. I prayed for him, gave him my number. And uh, you know what? I still made it to church on time. <laughs> And again, it's got nothing to do with me. It's not me. God is looking for those of us who would be willing to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I was telling my wife, I'm looking forward to the day when I can pull my sons out of the car and be like, come on. Because see, they're going to see real, real religion that way. Come on, let's go help this person on the side of the road. Come on, let's go do this. Because this is what Jesus would do. And they're going to see. It's not just that we come to church. It's not just that we preach and teach. It's not just that we, and I don't mean, and it li- take this lightly. It's not just that we read our Bible and pray, but our God is real and he changes lives. And when you show up and you stand in the gap, lives are changed. Lives are changed. I would have loved for my kids to see the look on this guy's face because it just touched my heart. I'm like, wow, God. And it's a reminder to those of us who have been in the faith for a, faith for the, for a while. Wow, God, you're still working. Wow, God, you're still real. And it just reaffirms. So I challenge us tonight. We started off last week talking about preparing for the church of tomorrow. And I go back to my original question. What will the church look like 20 years from now? What will the church look like 40 years from now? How many of our children will have stayed the course? How many of the world will have come in because we showed them who Christ really was? Who Christ really is? I believe that everybody sitting in a chair tonight, even the youngest, has something to deposit to the next generation. We have something to deposit to prepare all of us to be the church of tomorrow. Let's pray tonight. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you are always speaking. I thank you, Lord, that you speak through your word and you speak through your spirit. Father, I pray as we begin tonight. I pray that you have taken these words, you have taken this truth, and you've deposited it into every heart here. That each and every one of us is now beginning to see ways that we can be your hands and feet. Each and every one of us is now beginning to see ways that we can pour out to the next generation. Father, we thank you. Lord, tonight we repent. 
We repent of not putting you first in our lives. We repent of putting everything else first and not giving you what you deserve. Father, I pray for us tonight. I pray, Lord, that you would set such a fire down in our heart, Lord, that we couldn't start our day without you, that we couldn't move forward without you. Father, we ask for this passion. We ask for this desire. But, Lord, we know in times when it's not there, give us the obedience to get up and do it anyways. Give us the strength to get up and do it anyways, Father. I thank you for that tonight because that's what we need to be your children. That's what we need. We need your voice. We need to know the voice of our shepherd. Holy Spirit, in those hours, in those early hours when we're humbling ourselves under the Lord, would you deposit in us? Would you deposit in us what you have for us that day? Would you deposit in us what the Father thinks about us? So that we know that we're loved, accepted, cherished, and that he has a purpose for us. Thank you for that, Lord Jesus. Thank you for that. Thank you. Lord, we say tonight, if you can use anything, you can use us. We're open. All you're looking for is willing and open vessels, and we're open tonight. We're open. Father, I thank you again.